0: This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport.
1: Powered by fans. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.
2: The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love.
3: Episode of Total Saints podcast your weekly delve into the goings-on at Southampton Football Club and all that consumes it after what's been another quiet seven days for our favourite sporting passion not the agenda for this pod reflects that of a fine dining experience at an expensive restaurant for starters we'll look back at Saints' latest Premier League game the 2-0 defeat versus Leicester Okay, we might have to send that one back to the kitchen. For mains, we're splashing out as the legend that is Trevor Foy, one of the key cogs in both the Southampton Australian supporters, where he is the president and also the Global Saints, joins us for the January International Supporters Club. Dessert, which is probably more of a hefty cheese board to be honest, sees us discuss FA Cup rearrangements and a 2019-20 finances. Then it will be just about time for the bill, which hopefully won't be 76.1 million. Joining me around the dinner table is the always hungry Steve Grant, Glenda LaCour and Dan Sheldon. Good evening, gentlemen. Good evening. evening. That was very formal good evening, gentlemen, there, wasn't it? But uh, yeah, as I said, Dan, uh, another relatively uneventful week for Saints, and I imagine you were sort of sat around twiddling your pen or keyboard as it probably is these days for most of it
4: had my feet up Monday to Friday. Did, didn't know what was going on, on Saturday. Yeah it was a brilliant week. I'd know what 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 did I miss?
3: <laughs> There's always something to talk about, isn't there?
4: Yes, all the time. And it's just when you think you can switch off and watch a bit of T V all of a sudden the phone will go. And that you you debate in your head, do I look at it or do I not? And the minute you look at it you think, right, okay, back downstairs into the study. Open up the laptop and where, where are we at? And, yeah, had that a few times this
0: week.
3: And, Glenn, pre-Saturday's game, you, of course, live, 100% uncensored on Leicester Fan TV, I saw. Um, did did <laughs> uh, that all go yeah. okay? You didn't let the family yeah, down yeah. or
0: yourself or the pod or anything? No, I had to... Someone, one of my mates actually commented that I actually sounded like I knew what I was talking about. And part of that was because I had to concentrate so hard on not swearing because I knew it was going, it was going out live. So I was, I was really concentrating on what I'm doing. But it, it was, it was difficult because the Leicester fans who were, I could see the comments they were firing in at, at the same time I was doing it. And, and all it, all it was was, he looks a bit like the Southampton manager and all this <laughs> stuff. And, and this, this, this carried on for about 10 minutes at the start. But the, the lad who I did the, uh, did the show with was um well yeah he has the life of Riley. He lives out in Mallorca and has run a run a bar for fifteen years and and he was saying things like, well, the last two times you've played us, I've been in Jamaica on holiday. And I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm doing I'm doing something wrong with my life somewhere. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, no, it was good fun. It was good fun. It was, it was good to do. And it's still available to
3: watch, should anyone want to go and do that. Yeah, there you go. So Leicester Fan TV it was, wasn't it? That was uh, the site you were on, I think, the Fox's Arms. And, uh, yeah, I, I know you shared the uh, photo with the group uh, on the, the chat of uh, the comments about uh, the fact that they thought they got the Southampton manager on, which was good, and all that sort of thing. So uh, there we go. And, uh, yeah, Steve, uh, how's your week been? Uh, you were talking... Talking about noisy neighbours last week. When you says so the week been a bit better,
5: uh, slightly less noisy. Um, although I've actually not discovered who's making most of the noise because I spoke to the, spoke to the uh, the lads who, who moved in upstairs about two weeks ago, and turns out it's not them. <laughs> um, so God knows what's go- what's going on. Yeah, fan- phantom noises through the uh, through the uh, various walls in in this place. So. Uh, yeah. Yeah, a bit weird, but yeah, been been a busy week with work, so I haven't, haven't
3: had, uh, had an awful lot of time to be too concerned about it. Yeah, there we go. Well, for everyone that thinks that Total Saints Podcast is a life of glamour, there you go, we can confirm it's absolutely not. Uh, there we go. Anyway, ahead of getting on with the pod, we're grateful and excited to be able to shout out three new TSP patrons who signed up to support the pod since the last get-together. Via patreon.com slash totalsaintspodcast, they are Jordan Goter, Nick Harris and Phil Bosworth so firstly from all four of us to all three of you thanks Jordan thanks Nick and thanks Phil as we always say given we invest everything back into the pod we truly appreciate your commitment to us as we do our other patrons excitedly and gratefully Phil was actually our hundredth global patron to sign up since we uh, sort of reinvigorated the pod back in uh, the summer so truly fantastic to achieve the uh, century and uh, have you all behind us underpinning tsp thank you very much to all of you okay napkins tucked in and cutlery at the ready this is tsp 145 this is the total saints podcast with ben stanfield Steve Grant, Glenn Dillacour, and the Athletics' Dan Sheldon. As is often the case with Ralph Hasenhutl's Saints team these days, there was no lack of effort up at Leicester, but in the end, a full-strength Fox's side had too much for our almost threadbare squad, the home side winning 2-0. Dan, before we get into one or two of the game's talking points, your overall assessment of the 90 minutes just wasn't our night.
4: No, and it was always going to be difficult. Leicester, uh, as we, when we previewed the game, we... We all spoke in in glowing terms of the team Brendan Rodgers has got up there. And you look at the two sides and Southampton were patched up, I think is the word word you just used. And that was the best way to describe it. You've got Shane Long, again, as the most experienced player on the bench, followed by a bunch of kids. And against Liverpool, we all, of course, spoke glowingly again about how it was great having all these academy players. But at the same time, Danny Ings was on the pitch and you had that one player who could create something out of nothing and make a big difference and that was just missing against Leicester in the first half when Southampton were on top uh, they obviously had a couple of chances but were unable to convert any and then Leicester just came out in the second half, were very professional did the job and Southampton couldn't get anywhere near them, it's a defeat it was one of those games where it, you could have seen Southampton winning before the team news came out perhaps a draw was always going to be unlikely I felt and then no one would complain if Leicester won and I think we're in a situation where no one can really have any complaints Southampton were massively under strength. they were playing a brilliant Leicester team who are going to be pushing for the top four this season it's a case of dust yourself off let's hope these players can come back sooner rather than later because the longer it goes on the more exposed Southampton are and and go again and it's important to know that was only their first away defeat since the start of the season so I think it's a defeat where we shouldn't all be too pessimistic it's this is Leicester at the end of the day and Ralph, as he said after the game, this was the best the best team he could put together, just wasn't quite good, good enough to beat Leicester. On another day when you've got Redmond, Ings, Vestergaard, Romelu, all in and around the squad, they could have been on, on their day good enough to beat Leicester. So that's where we are. I don't think too much more can be added other than the kind of talking points that I'm sure we're going to come on to in a moment. Yeah. And Steve, as Dan mentioned there, obviously,
3: yeah, it was our first defeat on the road since that uh, opening day defeat back at Palace on uh, the 12th of September. Given Leicester went second with the win, do you think it kind of continues to show really how far we've come that we're disappointed even with all the challenges the club are currently facing, not least with the injuries, as Dan mentioned, that we couldn't get something in the end?
5: Yeah, to an extent. I mean, it's slightly frustrating seeing some of the sort of reaction online of various people sort of Seemingly being really, really sort of angry with the performance, and that oh, a club, a club like us should be, should be demanding better. It's like, well, no. I mean, you, you only have to look at. The, I mean, as 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 you and Dan both both said, you only have to look at the makeup of the bench and compare it with what their bench had. I mean, they they were able to bring um, Soyuncu off the bench to. Base, I mean, it seemed to be a completely tactical decision from Rogers to take Fofana off, who's a 30 million pound centre back. And bring Soyunchu on, who they paid a, a fair wedge for um, as well a year earlier. So it's a question of kind of relative expectations. We're we're starting from a relatively low base, and we're still kind. I mean, as we'll we'll come on to later with the with the financial situation, we are still paying for terrible business decisions in the last probably four four years or so, and it's not it's not going to be an easy road to. I mean, a recovery is probably not not necessarily the right word, but an easy road to getting into a competitive position. We're we're doing we're doing absolutely fine at the moment, and the fact that we're still what three or four points off the off the top four, obviously less less than that to to the European positions, which suddenly actually look less attractive at the moment, given the given how the sort of results and sort of obvious deficiencies have been shown up by by these um, these little injuries. I think the the overriding emotion from from last night was kind of frustration because for the first half we were comfortably the better side, and but for Stuart Atwell um, being blind we'd we'd have gone in at least at nil nil and the only thing that would have been said was oh Southampton are dominating this game the only the only question is whether they whether they should have taken taken one of the one of the sort of half chances that we created because neither side really had, had an awful lot sort of creative wise but we just looked we looked the most likely side but of course you can't you can't legislate for just a bog standard um, dreadful refereeing decision or non-decision
3: yeah Glenn uh, we're, we'll have a chat about the goal in a minute but just yeah as, as Steve kind of said despite all the changes and you know the fact obviously Will Smallbone had come back in from uh, you know not featuring for a while Saints played really really brightly pretty much up until that first goal yeah,
0: I, I, yeah we were the better side up until the first goal. Our 11 that we had out on the pitch at the start of the game, you know, was was decent enough and we acquitted ourselves really well. We went in at half time 1-0 down basically because I mean the goal is a bit of a there's two or three things in there we you know after the the missed decision by Mr. Atwell, we we had two or three chances to get the ball away. And kind of half got it away a couple of times. And then there was a bad bit of defending at the end and, 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 and it ended up in the, you know, ended up in the net. And, and so we did kind of shoot ourselves in the foot a little bit with that. And I, I thought second half, we just got tired, didn't we? We, we just got, we just got tired. Leicester. Such set a up. heavy pitch as well. Yeah. The pitch was awful. I mean, that's, that's not a Premier League pitch. Like I said on Twitter, I think they must have furloughed all the ground staff. It was ridiculous how bad that was, bearing in mind. I don't think there's been a massive amount of football played on it. I know it's been sort of like raining a lot and, and stuff like that, but that that seemed very very poor. I know there, there was another poor one I saw earlier on in the week. Was it Leeds? That looked terrible as well. But yeah, Leicester's pitch was very bad, and it actually helped us at one point because Vardy played a big air shot on the on the penalty spot, and the the ball takes a big hop just as he takes a swing at it at one point. But um, yeah, that, I can't imagine that Brendan Rodgers is is over happy with having to play on that every other week. But um, no, we did we did well first half, and I didn't think we did too badly second half. But ultimately, we didn't ever really look like we were going to score. I think we had, you know, Bertrand shot. I remember Smallbone had one, and Armstrong Armstrong hit the bar, and that was that that was kind of it. I I never really felt like we were going to score, and and when they, um, you know, when we ended up with Shane Long and Dan and Underlo up front in the second half, you think it's a real stretch to imagine that we're going to get a goal in in this game. So. Yeah, just one of those we have to, you know, we have to write it off, really. Yeah,
3: indeed. And uh, yeah, I mean, the goal from Matt Madison then, uh, Steve, just after the half hour, um, it kind of need- seemed to almost knock the stuffing out of Saints a little bit, didn't it? As as Glen mentioned, but uh, I mean, what did you make of that sort of first goal? Because it did look like a clear foul on Diallo. I, I don't think anyone sort of doubts that, but I, I guess it was more the frustration, wasn't it? That there was a good sort of sixty, ninety seconds after that where Saints gave the ball away. They had a couple of chances to clear it, didn't do that, didn't track runs, you know, etc. It was just like a bit of a, a soft goal to give. Away in the end.
5: Yeah, I mean it was it was poor it was poor from a defensive perspective. The goal, um, Stevens lets Madison turn far too easily, just rolls him really, and and it's it's just weak. And then I kind of wonder whether McCarthy should stand up a little bit more. I don't know. I mean I'm I'm not a I'm not a goalkeeping expert, so I don't know what keepers are kind of taught in those in those sort of situations. I mean, it may may well be given where he actually slotted the ball in that even if he'd been in a theoretically better position, he may not may not have um, saved it anyway. Because I mean, the the precision of where he actually put the ball um, was so precise that it's, it's just like well, at the end of the day, he's, he's found the one sort of ball sized space for that. For that um, shot to go into, but yeah, I mean, from a from a decisions perspective, I mean, it wasn't even just the the non foul on Diallo. You had a, about, I think about 30 seconds before that, which is what led to uh, led to the run that Diallo made. Um, you had a, you had a pass that got played into our sort of behind Bertrand to Albrighton, who basically gave himself offside. He didn't he didn't chase after the ball and then just kind of ambled towards it. Realised that the linesman wasn't putting his flag up, and all of a sudden play was carrying on. It's like, okay, what the hell's going on here then? Because he, he, I mean, he looked a good twenty yards offside. It was, it was l- ludicrous. And then you get Diallo running. Obviously, we get we turn the ball over again. Um, Diallo gets a run away from Ndidi. I think Atwell blocked off another Leicester player from um, making a challenge from the side, and basically Ndidi's pulled. Um, pulled him back in the same way that, same way that Diallo did for uh, Madison, literally 30 seconds previous. And it was, uh, it was just an absolutely identical situation where he allowed the play to go on because they kept the ball. And then as soon as they didn't keep the ball, we brought the play back, which from a decision perspective, I've got absolutely no problem if he's going to do that.
3: It's just the consistency. Yeah.
5: you've, You've got, you've got to do it for both sides. You've got to be fair. And that was just absolute nonsense. And it, it, I mean, Atwell's game basically deteriorated completely from that point because, I mean, in the the second half, he was absolutely atrocious. Um, And for both sides, I don't think I mean, there were there were so many decisions that he either either just bottled making a decision or just clearly got it wrong. I mean, he looked absolutely determined as if he was going to send someone off at some point. Um, I'm surprised Diallo lasts as long as he did. I mean, as well as Diallo played, um, and I thought he was he was excellent we, to the extent that we didn't really – didn't actually miss Romeo, to be honest. But, yeah, it was it, – it felt as if it was a matter of time before there was a red card coming. And, I mean, we were quite – I suppose fortunate that we didn't get that, but obviously Bertrand's now got, got a book in that will mean he'll miss the Arsenal game next week.
6: Mm,
3: yeah, the league game. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Um, Glenn, I'm going to get your uh, opinion on him uh, in a minute as well, because I know as British football fans, you know, there's nothing better than uh, having to go at the ref when you lose a football match, is there? And uh, I think <laughs> uh, we've not done that for a while, so it feels like we should just get your view so that it doesn't just sound like uh, Steve uh, giving his opinion on him. But uh, yeah, I always remember um, Stuart Outwell for that. Uh, most recently, for a course, not giving Bertrand, I think it was, a penalty at Old Trafford when we lost that. Uh, game uh, late 3-2. So what did I spend my Sunday morning doing? Well, what do I always do? I had a look at Stuart Atwell's refereeing performances against Saints over the last few years. Um, ironically, and this probably says how much uh, he's not trusted to referee Saints, uh, he hasn't refereed a game at St. Mary's since January 2018. Uh, ironically, we lost that at home to Crystal Palace 2-1. But the, the last few games that he's refereed for us, November 2019 was the last game. So 14 months ago, we drew to our Arsenal course. That was the uh, start of our brilliant run before that West Ham away we lost 3-0 May 2019 the Man United game uh, in March 2019 I've just spoken about Huddersfield away which was just after Ralph joined ironically we won that one 3-1 so there's a rare Stuart Atwell feather in the cap previous to that Wolves away when we lost 2-0 under Mark Hughes back in September 2018 so we've not got a fantastic record under him to be fair Glenn I think he was about to give us a penalty for the barge on uh, Shane Long before everyone realized that Shane Long was about 15 yards offside but just from your opinion do you think he was a uh, uh, you know he didn't have a great night at the office or do you think we're being a bit unfair on him
0: no, I think he's That's shocking. That's Stuart Atwell, not he's, Shane Long, by the way. <laughs> Stuart Atwell is a shocking referee. He's, te- he's terrible every time I see him. It doesn't matter who he's refereeing, whether it's Saints or another game on the telly. He's all, he's always shocking. There's always these decisions, as Steve alluded to earlier on, where he makes a decision and you've got both sets of players looking at him. And it, it it's like, you know, there's not one team going, oh, give us the ball, we'll get on with it. That was obviously a free kick, but... You know, you, even teams that have got the decision are looking at him thinking, are you sure? You know, it's just, he's, he's just a bizarre referee and, and it, it does have an effect. If we go back to the Diallo thing, because, because he didn't get, you know, get that free kick, he then got booked straight afterwards, I think, for doing the same sort of thing. And then in the second half, to be honest, he should have got sent off because he did the same thing to Madison again and Atwell bottled that. But Diallo was then, of course, he, he 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 was kind of diminished after that and he couldn't well, could make a tackle no could he, he couldn't point. go near anybody so that was part of the reason why for 20 minutes or so we we you know the game kind of drifted but uh, but yeah i agree i mean atwell was going to give the penalty but yeah less said about that the better um i mean the only thing i'll say about that is that shane long was was consistent i mean armstrong dribb- dribbled the ball right across the pitch and shot and hit the bar and Long was never on side at one point, <laughs> not not one. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm hoping that when the no. guy when the guy gets a bit more experience, he might he might learn, learn how to time his <laughs> run a little bit. But I, uh, I, I, I feel
3: like we've given Shane a really hard time the last few weeks, and I know he's been a good servant since the last uh, couple of uh, few seasons or so. But yeah, he needs to just add a little bit more, Glenn, doesn't he? <laughs> Of yeah, something yeah, maybe, just stay on side moving on he's on. like the Irish Papawago I'm
0: getting I'm getting battered by the Irish community on uh, on Twitter anyways <laughs> so we'll move on from that one know, yeah let's let's quickly Stuart move Atwell, on yeah Stuart Atwell was the worst referee in the Premier League until the next time we get John and, that, and that's and that's a low you know, it's, it's a low bar isn't it <laughs> the, the, problem, yeah. the problem is that
5: Atwell does this all the time he does this to every team it's not just us and it's it's pretty damn indictment on the rest of the referees in this country that he is still in the select group and he is still on the on the professional list because I mean how bad do you have to be to get kicked off that
3: I know in summary what we're saying is that he's the worst referee in the Premier League until just next to say week. he's
0: not the reason we lost really he's not no, the no, reason we lost no. we, we we got what we deserved from that game yeah, agreed. Brilliant.
3: All right. Well, Dan, let's uh, move on. Uh, obviously, Saints defended fairly well in parts and uh, kept Jamie Vardy quiet, of course, at the King Power again. Um, seventh game in a, in a row that he's failed to score against Saints, which, uh, when you consider his records a pretty good effort on our part. Of course, I made him uh, FPL captain as well, so I clearly deserve a little bit of credit. But um, it's now only one Premier League goal in our last five games. So concerning the lack of firepower at the moment, um, obviously without Danny Ings.
4: Absolutely. Uh, I'd written about this on The Athletic. Uh, last week it would have been the week just gone and it's i think in their last 10 they've scored 22 in their last six is it now they've scored two in the when i did the figures it was 10 in the last five and 12 in the five before those so there clearly has been a significant drop off Uh, i know they are still the most efficient attacking team in the premier league in terms of xg they've scored 26 goals from 17.8 or xg or whatever it is that may have decreased now but what Because I spoke to Tom Warville about this, who's our analytics and data guy at The Athletic, and we basically had a a decent chat and he was saying Southampton have been overachieving, massively overachieving. If you look at the goals they're scoring, they're not normally goals you'd expect to score. So James Ward-Prowse, how many times is he going to score three kicks like that? You know, two in one game is, is rare. Danny Ings... How many times can he continue scoring half chances? How many other strikers in the Premier League would have scored that goal against Liverpool? Not many, I don't think. And now we're just seeing this all even itself out. It's, you know, Danny Ings isn't okay. He's been injured, but Ward-Prowse isn't scoring those free kicks, or we may not be getting as many free kicks as there were. Vestergaard isn't in a team to perhaps score a header. Armstrong hasn't scored recently, so we are just seeing. Southampton naturally just even themselves out on a on the scoring front. We do we do look such a reduced threat in in from attacking set pieces without Vestergaard,
5: don't we? Yeah. I mean, Le- yeah. we had we had five we had five corners last night, and I'm pretty sure that a Leicester head was on the end of every single one of them. Yeah, I, yeah, um, I think yeah, I remember none of thinking
4: Arches the same. Anywhere near it? No, I I remember thinking the same, and uh, it's hard to describe what what are the the reasons for this. Of course, lots of games over Christmas. Of course, they're going to be fatigued from that, but then they were potent against Liverpool. Okay, it was Danny Ings' brilliant goal that was the difference. But from an attacking point of view, I thought they were very good. From an defensive point of view, they were even better against Liverpool. Fulham, they were just poor, tired and poor. West Ham wasn't much better, and I thought Leicester at times they were they were very good, but there was just there wasn't that was that final person there that was going to able to bury the ball in the back of the net and when Ings isn't playing I think for Southampton if they can prove they can win without Danny Ings I think that puts them in a in a brilliant place but then I don't know It just comes back to are we relying too much on him and I know I made that comment previously in the season and all of a sudden everyone else started scoring but <laughs> now you can say a yeah. few and far between and Shea Adams may not hit this that you know Shea Adams might not be as good as finisher as Danny Ings are we now becoming too reliant on him again it's a really weird I'm not saying they are but it's a it's definitely a topic for conversation. Well,
0: other players, other players have got to step up, haven't they? I mean, because at the moment, yeah. if, if you've got, if you had a chance where one of your players is through on goal, the only player we've got who I would trust to score is Danny Ings. Yeah, I, none, none of the, none of the others. Armstrong is is okay. Walcott's very hit and miss. Adams is very hit and miss. And yeah, without Vestergaard, there's, there's no one, there's no one else chipping in. But we we, we have too many players who I I am not confident in them sticking the ball in the net if they get one chance. And Che Adams doesn't seem to have even been getting the chances. You know, he he was missing a few at the start of the season. Then he went on a run where he got a few goals. And now, for whatever reason, he doesn't seem to be getting into the position to have shots even. That's what
3: I was going to ask. I I think it's a good point, Glenn. That's kind of what I was going to ask as a bit of a follow-up question, Dan, because I remember you asking this to Ralph a few weeks back. And uh, I, I suppose I was going to ask, you know, whether you think teams have got wise now to ralph's system and the team system and how to stop them creating chances and scoring
4: goals or do you think it is just more than that the fact that we are missing key players for example i think you can't overlook how how many players they are missing when you compare it to last season i remember speaking to ralph i can't remember exactly when but it was the season was well advanced and just talking about how good the medical staff have been because no one's ever injured now the fact that there's loads of injuries now isn't I'm not saying the medical team are doing a bad job. They're not. They're doing a, a fantastic job, but it it just seems to be piling on, piling on at the moment. It's one after the other, and we saw Wilson Smallbone go off early yesterday. I mean, let's hope that's not anything too serious, but he looked to be in a bit of discomfort. Naturally, teams are going to figure out how to how to stop Southampton. And you were on that press conference, and Ralph said it's if people, you know, if if teams can figure out how to stop us that's great because it means i i know what they're doing and i can go back and change that but we've not really seen that change too much and i, I also don't think we can underestimate not only Vestergaard's ability to get on the end of a ball in the box but how important he is from an attacking point of view yeah and how important yeah, the that passes pass is yeah. to uh, your car walker peters or a ball through the middle that catches out the you know the midfield i've I spoke to Yannick Vestergaard last week as a big interview we're going to be running this week on The Athletic where he's analysing his own game and he talks about those passes and why those passes are so good when you transition from defence to attack and I'm not going to reveal his arm. It's it's better to, for him to explain it in his own words so I won't repeat what he said but I, th- I do think we can't underestimate his absence not necessarily from a defending point of view but just that what he can give to the attack which teams don't seem to have wised up to too much because if you're, I'm going to get a little bit technical now and I am going to maybe give away some of his answers, but if you're Kyle Walker-Peters, uh, the way the way Southampton system works, you'd have Ings and Adams up top and then you've got, let's say, Armstrong and Walcott uh, as tens. Now, if Walker-Peters progresses up the pitch on the right, that fullback now is left of a choice It's because Walcott is going to tuck inside. It's, well, do I respect Walcott and leave Walker-Peters or do I go to Walker-Peters and leave Walcott? Nine times out of ten they go to Walcott because Walcott's going to put pressure on their centre back and that's who they're going to support. So that gives Walker-Peters all this time and space to take the pull down, look up, see who's around and all of a sudden the, the opposition are on the back foot and Southampton don't have that at the moment. They haven't got that bang 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 we're in attack now. We had, so, it,
5: yeah. we had it a little bit first half I thought because James Justin was left completely exposed quite a few times um, in that first half but I think they kind of shut that avenue down second half. i don't know if there was a specific change that that Rogers made before that substitution, but yeah, there was there was certainly no no room down there. Um, that that kind of that kind of idea of um sort of double teaming the the opposition fullback just didn't happen. Uh, second half really.
3: Well, some interesting stuff there, Dan. We look forward to reading that uh, this week. But yeah, the goal at the end was obviously disappointing to concede, especially for those of us who, of course, predicted Leicester to win one nil. Um, but here's something optimistic for all of you. Our last two Premier League defeats at the King Power before last night, 2014-2015 and 2015-16, both of those seasons, we qualify for Europe. There's an omen. Anyway, here's what Ralph had to say after the game via BBC Match of the Day. Uh, congrats to Leicester. We tried to force them to a very good performance and they did it. I think uh, made a fantastic goal in the first half. The rest of the game, I must say, we, we did our best with a With the options we have in the moment, we are a little bit running out of players. We have nine injured, I think, in the moment, and this makes it difficult for us. But I have seen a team that was fighting for everything. We had also our chances to score, but the quality in the end, especially in the final third, was not enough to to take something today. And it wouldn't have been deserved. So I also like to to take a point when it's not deserved. But no, I think we did the maximum we can do in the actual situation we are in. And finally, it was not enough against the strong side. Ultimately then, Glenn, our first defeat on the road after eight matches, loads of injuries, not played for nearly two weeks, eighth in the league, and beat the champions last
0: time out. Far from the end of the world, this loss. (laughs) Yeah, it is far from the end of the world. I think it's disappointing because we're not used to to losing. Um, I, I think that's... That's part of it. We, you know, we beat Liverpool last time out. Um, but, but to be honest, I, th- I think this was a more difficult game. There, Leicester are a, a genuine top six side in terms of performance. Obviously, not in terms of finances, but, but they do, they do obviously throw quite a lot of money around, and they've got a very good squad, good manager, good setup. They're still sort of almost riding the crest of the way from when they, from when they won the league. I know they had a couple of missteps with, uh, Claude Puel and was it Shakespeare, whatever his name was? Yeah, but they've, 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 they've come out, yeah, they've they've come out of that and, and they're, they're, they're a very good side and you wouldn't be at all surprised if they, uh, if they challenge the top four at the end of the season. So I think it's one of the most difficult games that we'll have this year, to be honest. And, yeah, the fact that we lost it, it's it's not the end of the world. Um, it's the only thing I would I would say. I was a bit surprised that, given that we'd had 12 days, Romeo wasn't supposed to be a long-term injury, or it's not been reported as such, and nor is Nathan Redmond. But they seem to have disappeared, you know, disappeared off the face of the earth. I was kind of hoping that a couple of people would have made it back for this game. But, uh, but we'll have to see what happens after the... Um, After the cup game, or games, depending on uh, what happens in the next week or so.
2: Hi, I'm Ricky Lambert, and you are listening to Total Saints Podcast.
3: Now, Saints aren't the largest supporter club around the world, but it's fair to say that interest is growing them all the time. One man who's played a key role in that is, of course, our favourite Austrian, Ralph Hasenhutel. Another man who has played a significant role isn't Austrian, but Australian. He's one of the figureheads within the Southampton Australian Supporters and also works tirelessly to try and connect other Worldwide Saints fans via the Global Saints. His name is Trevor Foy. He's one of our fantastic 100 patrons. And earlier in the week, I caught up with him for our latest International Supporters Club. Enjoy.
0: Total Saints Podcasts International Supporters Club
3: Trevor, thanks so much for catching up with uh, TSP. How are you keeping down there?
7: No, we're pretty good here. We had our six-month lockdown last year, so we're sort of, at the moment, fingers crossed, out the other side of that. Brilliant. And
3: uh, as I sort of mentioned there, I mean, you're someone that's been heavily involved in uh, the Southampton Australian Supporters Club, which we'll get to in a minute. But just briefly tell us a bit about your background, Trevor. You know, how you sort of got into following Saints and um, whereabouts you're based in Australia these days?
7: Yeah, well... First of all, thanks for having me, Ben. I thought you'd never ask. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I just want to say quickly uh, that we're all thinking of you guys. Most of our group have friends and family in the UK, and it's really tough to see what you're going through at the moment. It might not feel like there's an end in sight at the moment, but there's better days ahead, and soon enough you'll be joining us back in the pubs.
3: (laughs) And until then,
7: hopefully, Ralph can put a few smiles on faces. I mean, imagine if this was happening under Pellegrino or Hughes football. Oh.
3: <laughs> it doesn't bear thinking about,
7: does it? course. And just quickly, uh, I want to give a shout out to a good friend, Jason McPhee. Um, Jason's always been a great connection between our Aussie Saints and Southampton. And when anyone is heading to their first game, we put them in touch with Jason. And within about 15 minutes of walking into a pub, everyone knows their name and they feel part of the family. So, oh, get better soon, mate. So, yeah, just to answer about how I started as a Saints fan. Yeah. Um, we live down at the moment in a place called Ocean Grove. It's about an hour and a half from Melbourne down the coast. However, I do try and organise my work schedule so I'm in the city for most weekends so I can <laughs> meet up with the guys for games. Yep. And in regards to how I became a Saints fan, well, I grew up in the 90s when Latisse was doing his thing. Yep. And it sort of made more sense than following a big club. And that flowed into the Beatty and Pahas. years. But it wasn't really until I did the traditional Aussie thing in 2008 of swapping our beautiful warm summers for your freezing cold winters. (laughs) And that's sort of when I really caught the Saints bug. My first game was really cold, Tuesday night at St. Mary's. And it was a pretty uneventful nil-nil draw against Plymouth. But I just loved the whole experience. Like the walk to the ground, the tribal atmosphere inside the stadium. Yeah, it was awesome. Uh, However, it was probably my second game. Uh, first away game trip to Charlton the next Saturday where I really felt part of the Saints family I was having a drink on my own at half time and a group of Saints fans came over for a chat and within about 10 minutes they told me if I ever needed tickets or a place to stay in Southampton to just get in touch Uh, I just thought that was brilliant and yeah they were true to their world and in terms of any
3: sort of favourite games or or players over the years or visits to watch Saints you've obviously mentioned a couple there with Plymouth and the, the Charlton games Trevor but any others that stand out?
7: Well, follow along from the previous question. I stayed up for the FA Cup draw in 2010. And when Southampton were drawn against Portsmouth, I was straight in touch with Barry, one of the group I met at Charlton. Yeah. And I said that if he's able to get me a ticket, I'll fly over for the game. And for the Lambert equaliser alone yeah. and celebrations in the stadium, it was completely worth it. Although I can't have a loss, especially to them. It's my favourite game. So I'll go with the... 8-mil win over
6: Sunderland.
7: It took me 12 games, personally, to see a Southampton win. But that day, I was with a good friend, James Thornell, beard at Aussie, for his first game. A couple lucky charm. (laughs) In regards to best players, the ones I've mentioned before, Latisse, Beats, Pahas, and obviously more recently, Lambert and Ings. But to pick one, uh, that's tough. Uh, I'd have to go with Gooley though, Prado.
3: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Bit of a hero of yours, isn't he?
7: Cult hero, especially (laughs) with the FAS. Uh, We've been working for eight years to get him from Brazil to Australia. Uh, We're still talking with his people. Oh, well, fingers
3: crossed that'll, uh, <laughs> that'll happen. So if 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 that, if that you can get them across from one of the road trips, I'll definitely be there then. I, I think I couldn't miss the opportunity to come and see Geely, I don't I think, think. I think so. everyone will. <laughs> yeah, think exactly. Everyone will. <laughs> There'll be a mass emigration uh, <laughs> or something, yeah. But uh, there we go. Um, I've got to ask just before we move on, Trevor, obviously it's summer down there, isn't it? So what's the weather like in uh, Victoria at the moment?
7: Uh, we're all over the shop. Like, we'll get days where there's one random day of 40 degrees and then the next day it'll feel like you're back in winter and then, yeah. They call us four seasons in one day in Melbourne. So. <laughs>
3: yeah, a bit like living in Scotland. Did you ever
7: come here, pack. Yeah, well, <laughs> at least it's consistent there.
3: Yeah, true. I'm looking at two inches of snow here, which is what we get most of the year, to be honest with you.
7: <laughs> <laughs> and Ben, uh, I know you love your quizzes. So if it's all right with you, we'll do a snap one-question quiz where I play host.
3: Oh, no. I'm feeling the pressure. <laughs>
7: <laughs> so that Plymouth game, yeah, November 2008, the season we were relegated from the championship, which player was also making his Southampton debut that day? And there is a clue if you need it. Um,
3: the immediate would be... No, I think Theo made his debut against Wolves. Do you want the clue? Yeah, give us a give clue some
7: sort of So We signed him from Strasbourg. Oh, Morgan Schneidlin. No, nah, he was already there. <laughs> uh, he was in the starting 11 that day. Do you remember the name Romain Gasmies?
3: Oh, that's a tough one. No, I can't say I do remember him, Trevor.
7: Yeah, yeah, no, that, that's fair enough because he only had four sub-appearances for <laughs> the club, including that day. He went back to France, couldn't cut it in the first division, and then, yeah. interestingly enough, he went to Thailand and played almost 200 games, mainly for Bangkok United. There you go. So, yeah. you. If anyone got that, that's listening. Yeah, impressive. We'll You're send doing me. me. Ho- hopefully, <laughs> the next
3: time we do a quiz, you can make them a bit easier for me, so I look like I know what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good stuff. And uh, yeah, I mean, uh, obviously, you mentioned um, some of the other managers that we'd had. Uh, we obviously got Ralph in charge at the moment. He's doing a a great job in terms of um, you know the players in the current squad and that sort of thing. Trevor, you and the guys that watch the team, which players are standing out for you at the moment? Who are you enjoying watching most in a Saint shirt?
7: The obvious ones, and for good reason, are probably Danny Ings and Prowse. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Prowse all the way through the academy. I remember seeing him make his debut. <laughs> Makes you feel old does, watching yeah, him yeah. come through the ranks. But uh, just to be a bit different, I'll go with Kyle. Mm-hmm. His energy and the way he goes about it, it's just a joy to watch. And yeah, he's proved to be a brilliant signing. I think it's one of those rare win-win signings. Spurs fans seem to be having with Hoiberg somehow. And, yeah, we're delighted with Carl. Yeah. Although, short hit, Yannick guards right up there. He is, he <laughs> is.
3: Yeah, absolutely. But, uh, though, cool. As you said, I think, um, yeah, compared to some of the, the sort of issues we've had at fullback, um, you know, I, I think the thing with Carl, just to sort of briefly touch on him, is it's both directions, isn't it? You know, he looks great going forward, but he looks solid at the back and, you know, putting in some great tackles and things like that, you know, and obviously he's got a lot to build on and I'm sure Ralph can develop him. But just in terms of potential, you know, he looks like a really, really good, promising prospect.
7: Well, it's gone from a position of maybe weakness to a position of real strength. Like, he gives everything in defence and then he really offers something going forward. So, yeah, hopefully he doesn't get injured, Touchwood. Yeah, Yeah, indeed. All right.
3: And cool. Tell us a bit about the Saints Australia supporters group then, Trevor, because you and John and Hayden, some of the guys behind it, I mean, it's obviously a... A big, I don't want to call it movement down there because it makes it sound like a cult or something like that, but it's a, you know, it's a big, big group of you yeah, down we there. We and... can't talk about cults. <laughs> exactly. And as we were talking about just before we started, I mean, you've been doing it for 10 years now, so it's not something that's, uh, grown overnight. But yeah, just tell me a bit about sort of, you know, how it started and how many people there are in your group now and all that sort of thing.
7: I think you had, uh, JP on, last think. Yeah, that's right. Yeah,
3: we
6: did.
7: Yep. Yeah, yeah. And he covered the start of the really well, better than I could do. Um, I know the big event early days was the FA Cup final against Arsenal. Yep. And I think back then most of the communication was through email or carry pigeon or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I found the group a bit later on, uh, meeting them for the first time for the FA Cup match against United. It was the one where Chaplow scored that thunderbolt. Yep. And up until then, I legitimately thought I was the only Southampton fan in Australia. So... As I was uh, studying marketing and advertising back then, I sort of took the reins of the Facebook page and they were the golden days of Zuckerbook where you could reach thousands of people based on a similar interest for a very minimal outlay. So overnight we basically went from an email list and a couple of dozen on Facebook to hundreds of Saints fans connecting all over Australia. Yeah. So yeah, it was really fun to just sit back and watch all the people shocked to discover that they weren't alone. Nowadays we have close to... 5,000 across Facebook and Twitter, and we're one of the most active supporter groups in the country, including the big boys.
3: It's great, isn't it? And as, you know, we, again, we were talking about this just before we started. I mean, Saints obviously aren't one of the most fashionable clubs in the world compared to the big boys, but um, yeah, the amount of effort that you guys have put in and uh, trying to get people to engage with Saints and you, you know follow what you and I would probably deem a, a proper club, in inverted commas, it must be really great to know that that effort's paid off and, yeah, as you say, built such a fantastic community.
7: Yeah, no, we've been delighted with everything that's happened. And just on what you're saying, I think the key difference between supporting Southampton and people that follow the big six just out of what their friends are doing or whatever, is if you walk past someone in the street, wherever you are in the world, that's wearing a Southampton top or you see some sort of merchandise that they're carrying, you'll stop and have a conversation with that person. Whereas if you observe two people wearing United tops or Liverpool tops or whatever... They'll just walk straight past each other. They won't even recognise each other's existence. So I feel like that's that's sort of a cool difference that we have, that everyone's sort of got a story about why they followed the Saints and why they're here and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And,
3: uh, I mean, obviously Australia is a, a massive country. We appreciate that. So it's difficult for you guys to maybe uh, catch up as much as possible. We know you've done a, a couple of road trips when John was on. He was telling us about the one, uh, I think it was up in the Gold Coast last year, wasn't it, before uh, lockdown and that sort of thing. But, uh, other than the sort of Facebook groups, you know, as you mentioned, you try to get up to the city, don't you, to, to watch the games. There's quite a, I mean, we see the videos of you guys on uh, Twitter and Facebook and things like that, the passion that's over there, Trevor. But yeah, you guys try to catch up as much as you can in the pub. Is it the Impy, isn't it? Is that right?
7: Yeah, the the Impy is our spiritual home in Melbourne. And we'll probably meet up for most games. And the other cities around Australia, they'll meet up maybe a handful of times a season, depending on kickoff times. Yep. And as far as, like, getting information out to everyone, our Facebook page is probably the main platform we use. But we also utilize Twitter, WhatsApp, and email when required. Yeah. And we've also set up individual groups for the major cities in Australia. It just sort of makes planning specific events a bit easier. But, yeah, the the main event each year is definitely the SAS annual, and we'll get you to one one year.
3: Oh, I'd love to. That would be amazing. I've never been to Australia.
7: (laughs) Also known as the road trip. So it's, it's a brilliant weekend. We basically just pick a city each season, and they play host. And the event starts with the jumpers for goalpost games. We've got people taking part in that game from ages six through to sixty-eight. Yeah. And then we have a dinner, and of course the Southampton match later in the night. For those who don't fall asleep, that is. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a it, yeah, it's just a great weekend to spend with Saints fans from all over Australia. Yeah. And I highly recommend it to everyone. But yeah. Uh, unfortunately, we weren't able to have one this season. I think we've had about six or seven seasons in a row where we've had an annual event. For obvious reasons, it was cancelled this season. Yeah. Um, but we're hoping to have our first Perth annual later in the year, maybe November. And, yeah, the most recent one, as you say, was up in the Gold Coast. And from the parts that I remember, it was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I should add, uh, we are also able to raise over a 1000 bucks for Saints Foundation and Bushfire Relief with that event.
3: Yeah, which is, as you say, for, for all the fun and the, the the enjoyment and the entertainment of it, which is yeah, equally as important, yeah, doing something fantastic like that, particularly after the sort of uh, treacherous scenes that we saw uh, out in Australia last year and, yeah, the Saints Foundation, the incredible work they do as well. I mean, that as you say, that brings a sort of uh, element of real satisfaction to it all, doesn't it?
7: It gives us something to take home other than hang over so it's sort of, yeah... <laughs>
3: Indeed, indeed. And uh, as you tell me, there's obviously lots of uh, Saints fans around in Australia now. Um, I should probably give Andy Barrett a quick shout out over in Perth uh, because he's someone that got in touch with me before Christmas and uh, I know was on a pod talking about Saints as well. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I I suppose the significant thing, and we've had a chat to a few guys around the world now, of course, is the the fact that you're 10,500 miles and 12 hours away there. So the commitment that's needed in terms of trying to watch the games as well then, Trevor, I mean, they're going to be on, what, pretty much midnight late into the... Um, morning, you know, that sort of thing. So, sort of, you know, 3, 4, 5 a.m. So, it's quite tough to try and commit to it from a point of view of really, um, you know, making the time
7: almost to watch the games when they're on so late in the day for you. I wouldn't say it takes that much commitment. When you support a club, you want to see them play, regardless of kick-off times. So, for us, the majority of games normally start around midnight two a.m. Uh, but lately, kick-off times have been all over the place. So, we've had lots of games that, friendly times, are like, 5am 7am Yeah Although in saying that I have seen some pretty committed efforts Over the years To watch Saints on TV Two standouts One is James Thornell The bearded Aussie His first game was Sunderland 8-0 I think he had an appearance on the BBC After that And all sorts of stuff Yeah He drove From Darwin to Adelaide The equivalent of Southampton to Moscow Just to join us For the Adelaide Annual event Wow Amazing. Yeah. Maybe committed to the word should be. Uh, the other one was the League Cup final. Yep. So we were backpacking through Southeast Asia at the time. So we organised to watch a game in Jakarta with the Indonesian Saints. Mm-hmm. The commitment wasn't on our part, as we just took a taxi from our hostel to the pub. But one of the Indonesian Saints had driven eight hours and taken two flights just to join us in Jakarta nice. for the game. Yeah. Uh, There was about 15 of us there that night, and the goal celebrations were as good as I've seen at some areas (laughs) or any away game.
3: I can imagine, yeah. Just a shame that
7: the result, really.
3: Wow, and the dodgy linesman, (laughs) yeah. Well, that too, especially that.
7: As far as the TV coverage goes, we're pretty spoiled here in Australia. For about £10 a month, we are able to watch every game live. So when we saw they were trying to make you guys talk over more for Mm. Fulham versus West Brom, we were pretty shocked. yeah. As
3: you say, I mean, it's good that out there now you can get back in the pubs with the, the guys and all that sort of thing. But just in general within the group, I mean, we're pre-recording ahead of uh, the Leicester game at the weekend. But the general sort of feelings within uh, the camp at the moment, which m- makes it sound like I'm asking you uh, sort of as a football manager here, Trevor. But the feeling within the, the camp, there is obviously <laughs> lots of positivity around the way that Saints are playing. You know, I was going to say on and off the pitch. Of course, the finances have come out this week, uh, which we'll get onto a bit later in the pod, which, you know, weren't fantastic, yeah. but probably expected. Mm. But on the pitch then, let's focus on that. You know, how are you guys?
7: feeling about Saints at the moment uh, I'd say we're over the moon, I mean, we're delighted. we know it's not always going to be like this, and there's likely darker days ahead, but at the moment, we're just enjoying the ride on the Ralph Express. <laughs> I mean, there's always a few in the group, I'm sure you have the same over there who they'll find fault if we're not winning every game eight 0 yeah, but the majority we're just loving what we're seeing, yeah and just by the way, quickly, what was Glenn's prediction for the game?
3: Uh, for the Leicester game, oh, I'll have to dig it out. Hold on
7: a minute. Because we all we all stand by that every week. Glenn went for a one-all draw. That's what it'll be, right? What's the point of watching?
3: <laughs> exactly. He's 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 like the Mystic Meg, isn't he, of uh, TSP, really?
7: I love when he said, oh, I couldn't care less about this, and then bang, got the results put on. <laughs> I, know, I know,
3: Excellent. All right. And, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously it's not just the um, Southampton Australian supporters. Of course, we know you're heavily involved in Global Saints, and you I know, have to give you a, a quick uh, shout-out here to say thank you because at the start of the year I sort of approached you to say one of the things we were looking to try and do this year was get a few more of the the Global Saints groups on TSP to give them a bit of a voice and hear their stories and you you know you were very much uh, behind sending lots of the details over and putting us in touch and things like that so it's been fantastic and I was working this out just before um, we came on uh, air now is that obviously we spoke to Francisco in Buenos Aires, we spoke to Ilya in Sofia, we spoke to Germond in Bergen up in Norway and then we spoke to Barat in uh, Mumbai last month of course including you then Trevor, I worked this out that we've uh, (laughs) covered from Southampton, we've covered 24,870 miles since we started doing this feature at the uh, start of the season and uh, ironically it's only 24,901 miles to go in entire way around the world so we're 31 miles short of circumnavigating the uh, <laughs> the globe here which is pretty cool but uh, the point I'm making ultimately yeah, yeah. is um, of course you're heavily involved in the Global Saints which is very much about connecting all of the groups but also then establishing some groups in countries where you know people maybe make um, contact with you don't they. I, I remember um, Barat saying that in terms of India, you know, a few of them sort of got together and then made contact with you and it sort of helped to connect them and that sort of Mm -hmm. thing. So I, I suppose I was going to ask, you know, given everything you've spoken about with the Aussies and, you know, you've obviously got a day job and things like that as well. Where that sort of desire came from to try and connect Saints fans around the world, you know, in country and together from the global Saints point of view and, you know, how much time and effort it takes
7: for you as well? Well, in the early days, I just loved being able to help people sort of go through the same experience that I had. From thinking they were the only Southampton fan in Australia to being part of a growing Saints community that definitely feels like a family. Yeah. After about 12 to 18 months of seeing our group grow exponentially and with regular events in cities all around the country, I figured that there's no reason why the SC's model wouldn't work in other countries. Yep. So I started getting in touch with Saints fans in about a dozen countries like Brazil, Canada, the US, etc., and explain what I'd done and what I was doing with our Aussie Saints. And then we just basically get started with setting up a similar system in their own country. By about 2013, 2014, it had grown to 16 countries, posting Saints content in nine different languages, with monthly reach in excess of about Mm 100,000. But I'd say the the most fun and most rewarding has definitely been connecting Southampton fans all around the world. Yeah. For example, if I see that a Saints fan is heading to Bulgaria, Indonesia or wherever, I'll make sure to tell them to get in touch with this person or this group and make sure they watch a game together. Then years later, I'll see that those same people are still in touch and good friends. And yeah, that, that always puts a smile on my face. I've seen that play out hundreds of times over the years and it really makes everything seem worthwhile. Yeah. Personally, uh, I've been able to meet up with Saints fans in over 30 countries, hopefully more to come. And real random highlight was using the basic Korean I'd learned at school <laughs> to show a class of kids in North Korea a video on my phone of Matt Lutis' best golf.
3: <laughs>
7: Brilliant. But saying all that, Ben, I just want to point out that I didn't start all of our supporter groups. A lot of them, like the Belgian, Greek and Dutch, have been going strong since yeah the early mid-90s. Yeah,
3: Already made contact with the uh, the Greek saints, and uh, hopefully they're going to come on in February for our next one. So uh, that'll
7: be a good chat
3: Yeah, exactly. And I've got to say, I mean, it's cool. You know, we obviously host our pod through um, SoundCloud. I love um, looking on there every week and, and sort of seeing where the pod's being listened to. I mean, of course, you know, you get the the big countries at the top: the UK, obviously, the States, you guys down there in Australia. But just looking here at the last seven days, you know, Japan is fourth. Obviously, we've got a couple of patrons out there. You go right down to sort of that'll be all the issue depends, right? Yeah, <laughs> probably. Yeah, um, but you go right down. <laughs> You know, we've got Lebanon, we've got Bahrain, we've got um, Estonia, Zimbabwe, Sri Lanka, Cayman Islands, Jamaica, Cambodia. I mean it is amazing. Nepal, Brazil, as you say. I mean that's you're, that's you're the... almost
7: you're almost making it sound like a big club then.
3: <laughs> yeah, but I won't tell you how almost. many stats are, it's like <laughs> there's one listen in each country or something like that. But uh, but I think that the most important thing is, you know, it does it does just show, doesn't it, that there's obviously so many Saints fans out there and yeah, they may just be on their own, but the fact is, you know, we are all part of this family in between us, we you know, surf the emotion, don't we?
7: Yep. The whole idea is if there are more than one fan in a certain country or a city, make sure that they're connected stronger together as they say yeah exactly
3: just on that then trevor if there's anyone listening in those countries that uh, is particularly keen to sort of see about how they can either connect into the overall global saints or you know try and see if there's any other fans in country and things like that you know obviously they can make contact with us at the pod and we can try and see what we can do in contact with you and things like that total saints podcast at yahoo.com but what's the best way to get hold of you or sort of get in touch with global saints maybe we could just do the contact details and twitter handles and things like that at the moment trevor
7: well, there's an interactive map that I've put together which lists all the current social accounts for our groups around the world, yep. and that can be found at bitly.com, so b-i-t-l-y.com forward slash global SFC map, mm-hmm. and that link is also on the global SFC Twitter account. But basically, search hashtag global SFC on any social account besides Parlour, and you'll find us.
3: Excellent, yeah, we're not talking about Parlour really are we uh, I, think, uh, I think there's a famous number 7 on there at the moment But there we go so, uh, yeah.
7: Also in lockdown I've been working on a hobby project Right. Basically it's a collection of a decade's worth of my Southampton images And stories from around the world Combined with all the interesting global connections I could find uh, So that goes all the way back to Charles Miller As the father of football in Brazil Through to George Way's cousin <laughs> and, and beyond so if that's something people might be interested in, then I'll look at getting that into a more readable format. And the working title for that is "Around the World in 60
3: Saints." Oh, oh yeah, that sounds brilliant. I'm sure everyone listening, yeah, if uh, if you follow Trevor or if you're um, part of the Aussie Supporters Group on uh, Facebook or anything like that, and you, you think that. Uh, Sounds like a good idea, which to me, Trevor, it sounds amazing. I think those sort of memories are are unique. No one else is ever going to have those, and being able to share them if you felt like that would be a fantastic way to sort of promote some of the the saint stories that we may not know about.
7: Yeah, well, I, I sort of during lockdown, all we could really do was buy stuff online. So pretty much, apart from the books I already had, I bought every Southampton history book I could find. I was just sort of matching events and people up to certain countries. So, yeah, there's lots of cool stuff.
3: And just based on that, then Trevor, is there any other sort of countries or areas that you're you're really keen to try and develop? You know, if there's um, a few supporters out there that uh, you're, you're aware of, which we could potentially try and help, or we could call out, you know, via the pod. Any other countries that sort of spring to mind where you think there could be a a good chance to build a Saints connection?
7: Um, unfortunately, I don't really have the time or the resources to develop any new areas at the moment. Yep. But in regards to potential, I'd have to say the States for sure. Yeah. As your podcast analytics tell you, there's a large number of Southampton fans across the pond. Basically, what we have in Melbourne, hundreds of connected fans and regular events, they could probably have in 20 US cities, maybe more. I know with the help of Philip Robertson, one of the New York tanks, we were able to organise their first ever annual event, which was a massive success. I mean, put it in context, we had five people at our first annual event in Adelaide. I think they had 50 or 60 in New York at their yeah. first. And, yeah, just before the pandemic hit, I was actually working with one of the Chicago Saints, Ali, for their second annual event. I think he had Ali on.
3: Yeah, we did. He came on, and then, of course, it had to be cancelled because, yeah, the pandemic kicked in, didn't it? That's right. We had him on about a year ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, But,
7: yeah, that wasn't to beat. But, yeah, there's a huge, huge potential over there. And I figure that, seeing I'm talking about them, I should probably drop their links in the podcast. Please. Yeah, on Facebook, just search United States of Southampton FC. And on Twitter at Saints FC USA. And also while I'm on it, make sure you follow Southampton Sierra Leone. They have about 20 or 30 guys and they play in a competition and they wear Saints kits. And yeah, I'm sure they'd love to hear from other Saints Saints.
3: And just finally then, from the club's point of view, I mean, again, you know, I've said this to all the other groups that we've spoken to, and I think we're well aware that the media team and the, and the club do a fantastic job of getting content out there, and wherever we are in the world, making us feel like we're part of St. Mary's and part of Staplewood and things like that, Trevor. But if there was one thing that you think, from a sort of global point of view, the club could do a little bit better, whether it's having, I don't know, sort of trilingual content on their sites for some of our Spanish-speaking fans and, I don't know, French-speaking fans or something like that, or, you know, anything else, is there anything that you think if they were listening to this or, either us or going back to them, that they could probably think about doing to try and help some of our fans around the world?
7: I don't think that the club translated content is really needed. Through our existing supporter groups, pretty much all the major languages are already covered. Uh, I think the main thing that I keep hearing from fans and supporter groups is that they'd love to see some sort of recognition from the club. Mm -hmm. Whether that's in the form of having official recognized supporter clubs or even links to the existing groups on the main site, and some might say that that's more suited to the Big Six, but if you look at the offering from clubs like Aston Villa, Wolves, and even Sunderland to so the international fans, yeah, there's a lot of potential for the club. Yeah, uh, we've de- we've definitely seen here in Australia over the last decade that the next generation coming through are more likely to stick with the Saints when they feel part of a larger Southampton community mm-hmm. instead of sort of getting sucked into following one of the Big Six like all their friends. In saying all that, I just want to say that the club has always been helpful when yeah. it comes to trying to assist our global Saints. Be getting tickets when possible or, in our case, with the presentation for our Player of the Season trophy. Mm-hmm. And to that end, I want to give a special shout-out to Carly, who's always gone above and beyond to look after our visiting fans.
3: No, good stuff. All right, and just finally then, Trevor, um, I'm sure most people listening to this will know already, but where can they find the uh, the Aussie Saints? Uh, I know you're not just limited to uh, taking in-country fans onto your Facebook groups and things like that. I mean, I know I you know, really enjoy the content and the the banter and the humour and things like that as well. So where can people find your Aussie Facebook and Twitter accounts if they'd like to give it a follow if they're not already?
7: Yeah, so the main two are the Facebook group in your search bar, Southampton Australian Supporters, and on Twitter, Aussie Saints FC. And, yeah, I've always tried to apply this across all the groups that I've helped set up. Lean towards a positive approach, add humour, and just make sure you don't bag players or administrators or anything like that because yeah. I've seen other supporter groups from other clubs. Yeah, they turn pretty toxic pretty quickly when things go bad. So, yeah, so far so good.
3: Good stuff. So great. Well, I think finally just to say, I mean, thanks again for catching up with us. Thanks also for being a, a patron, Trevor. We really do appreciate that of the the pod. And, uh, yeah, you know, you, John, um, Hayden, yeah, et cetera. Just, uh,
7: you just got to a hunt.
3: Yeah, yeah, we did, yeah. We just got to hundred this Patons, week. Yeah. So yeah, so um you know. So what do you
7: do? You don't you don't raise your trigger back, you raise
3: <laughs> microphones, headphones, happened? I, f- I feel like we should send it's a, a Yeah, I feel like we should send a little trophy <laughs> to the hundredth uh um yeah, to Phil who was our hundredth patron, but uh I'll have to try and sort that yeah. out I think. But uh yeah, no, I mean, you know, we're really grateful for that and uh I think, you know, as we just discussed, um hopefully we can try and do a little bit more between the the pod and the global saints to really try and uh you know, elevate all the fantastic work that's been done. But yeah, just to say Thanks for joining us, Trevor. And obviously, yeah, keep up the great work. And uh, fingers crossed for lots more celebrations in the MP.
7: 100%. 100%. They're always good fun. And just finally, Ben, I know you're always dishing out the praise, but I figure it's about time some came back your way. Uh, I just want to say thank you on behalf of all the Aussie Saints and, I guess, supporters around the world for sharing the stories of our international Saints mm-hmm. and for all the hard work you do with the podcast. So, yeah, it's really appreciated by all of us. And for me personally, a special mention to your interview with Sir Ricky. <laughs> that was a serious dose of nostalgia. That was really good.
3: Brilliant stuff, Trevor. I really appreciate it. Thank you.
7: So Ben. We'll catch up for a beer in one day.
4: Hi, guys. I'm Danny Ings, and you're listening to the Total Saints Podcast.
3: A massive thanks again to Trevor, great to hear from him, and I really can't underestimate the tireless work he does to connect the global Saints family together. Just for the record, Morgan Schneiderlin did join Saints from Strasbourg in 2008 as well, so I was half right. Right, to finish up this week, we'll briefly touch on the FA Cup, but before that, we couldn't ignore the 2019-20 financial report that Saints issued last week. The highlight, if you can call it that, being a £76.1 million pre-tax loss for the 12-month period ending the 30th of June 2020. Now we're not going to go through every single detail because A, it's on the club's website if you want to read it, and B, when it comes to maths and numbers, I didn't do very well at school, certainly not a favourite topic. But the Samaritan Football Group Limited, which encompasses Southampton Football Club, saw its overall turnover decrease to 126.6 million from 149.6 million in 2019. It saw broadcasting revenue drop by nineteen point three million to ninety three and a half million, and match day revenue reduced to fourteen and a half million from seventeen million in twenty nineteen. thirteen point nine million was generated through selling the lights of Sam Gallagher and Charlie Austin the previous summer but that was superseded by £56.7 million going out on the previously owed incomings and the simings of Shay Adams, Musa Gineppo and Kevin Danso's loan. Dan, let's come to you first on this. We know COVID is obviously and will play a, a massive part in the day-to-day running of businesses all around the world, I suppose. Before we discuss wages to turnover and the MSD Holdings loan and things like that, did the overall figures
4: surprise you at all or not? Not at all. Uh, when we saw Tottenham... Post a sort of 63 million pound loss, and Tottenham generate a lot more revenue than Southampton do. I thought, well, this is going to be bad news for for clubs across the board, and Southampton are no different in that sense. It's and what what I think is a point worth making is that whilst these figures are they read very bad, I don't think we're going to really know the true cost of COVID until it's over. This isn't going to be a case of let's say, come June. Wishful thinking, I know, but COVID has disappeared off the face of the planet. This year is going to it's not going to get any better from this point. Um, it's going to be a case of Southampton will have to really, really take stock when this pandemic is over. And then they can really sit back at that point and think these, these are our figures now. And how do we rebuild from here? At the moment, it's uh, an ongoing thing. It's almost when you're bleeding, you want to put a plaster over it. And that's essentially what Southampton have done with that MSD loan, which I know we're going to get on to get on to later but the headline figure will always make for bad reading it's 76 million pound net loss that's it was 41 million pound net loss the, the year before that there are a myriad of reasons why that net loss has gone up we've we know of a 19 million pound deferred payment that they're owed from broadcasters for the games that the six matches that went ahead in july they obviously didn't reach the cutoff point of the end of june there was a 4.8 million pound rebate to broadcasters as well and I'm pretty sure or I am th- I think there's going to be another another rebate uh, next year, which didn't fall into these accounts. But there's still 19 million pound coming back. There's so many different reasons for for why the 76 million pound net loss. The overarching thing I think to say is that and I made the point on the on the athletic when I looked at the accounts is they're not on a financial cliff edge. You know, they're not about to fall off a cliff and be in absolute dire straits. I think it's worth stressing that these figures aren't brilliant, but they're absolutely not the worst. We won't really know, as I've said, the, the true cost of coronavirus on Southampton Football Club until the pandemic's over and then everyone's left looking at what, they, what they've what they got and we're not in that situation yet. Are we going to be there next year? Maybe, maybe not. I think the, the ongoing rollout of the vaccine is going instill, to instill some confidence because there's a chance that fans could come back. I honestly, in my own opinion, I can't see fans returning this season. I just can't see it anymore. I think that that ship has almost sailed. Well, I think Saints have accepted that and now they're offering refunds. Yeah, exactly. For the start of next season, who knows, we could have fans back if the, the vaccine is successful and the government give it the green light and so on and so forth. So whilst there's not a lot to be optimistic about, I don't think... These figures are necessarily the end of the world at the moment. It It's hard to say that when the net loss reads so big, but Southampton are just are one of the first clubs to post these results. Let's take stock when everyone else has posted theirs, and then you can kind of compare to the clubs that are a similar financial standing to Southampton and see how they fared. I can't imagine too many will fare well at all. That's ever, Dan. Very sensible uh, view. Um, Steve, from a, a fan's point of view,
3: sort of summarising a little bit of what Dan said there, Um, of course, it has been a, a really abnormal almost the last 12 months for all of us. And with so many previous failings uh, still trying to be undone by those in power now, I guess, um, it was never going to be pretty reading, really, was it?
5: No. Um, s- um, I mean, in all honesty, I was expecting a bigger number. So they've, they've obviously... Done something vaguely right behind the scenes because I yeah I mean I was expecting a three-figure uh, millions just because we knew we were going to be making a loss anyway and throw in the throw in all the pandemic stuff with particularly I mean the the thing that that needs to be sort of the biggest thing to remember is that obviously the the last block of the season took place after the financial year end so there's so there's there's so much stuff that's actually happened. Last season that actually is in this year's finances that we're obviously not going to see probably until this time next year. It's it's kind of difficult to analyse the the numbers in in that respect. I mean, obviously Saints have Saints have put out a report which kind of details some of the things that are that are due to come back and some of the other expenses that are due to go out based on that little period. But of course, those those are numbers that don't. I don't think they need to be declared. So therefore you kind of have to take those a little bit of pinch a little bit of a pinch of salt and kind of see how it goes. Um, obviously we've got issues with I and mean, we've we've obviously seen the issues we've had with merchandise this this year. that's going to have cost the club. With with the change of sponsor and Under Armour not being able to fulfil the the new the redone shirts and all all this sort of, all this sort of nonsense is going to have cost the club a fair fair wedge of money, which kind of goes some way to explain why they took the took the cash from from the betting firm in the first place. But I think from a from an overall from a supporters perspective, as long as as long as people are kind of fairly level headed about it and don't kind of start worrying, oh, we're we going to be the next Portsmouth. No, we're not because there's there's no, there's nothing in there that that suggests that we're gonna, that we are doing anything that is completely um reckless there's no there's no sort of um spending spree being embarked upon where where we're gonna sign a load of um twenty six twenty seven year old players who want hundred hundred grand a week that's just that's just not gonna to happen that's that's not the way we operate and so i think there there is a there is a level of Kind of realism there, and as long as as long as people kind of accept that yeah it's it's not going to be easy, but everybody's kind of, everybody's in the same boat, then I think I think you kind of take these numbers as they are and probably i mean as as Dan said, you kind of probably have to reserve judgment on on how bad these are a until everybody else is released,
3: and b probably for another two or three years because. Clubs aren't going to be recovering from this for ages. Yeah, agreed. And uh, Dan, I mean, tell us what you know about the the loan then. So I think all of us are aware of uh, the MSD holdings. Toby, when he was on the the pod a few months back, obviously mentioned the the, the loan as well. So this wasn't anything new, but I suppose just seeing the breakdown of the numbers possibly was for all of us, wasn't it? So to help them sort of navigate through the immediate requirements of the pandemic, I think we can probably call it that, the impact of it. It totals 78.8 million, uh, and we were all able to see that that's at 9.14% interest. so Again, I'm not a maths person, but ultimately, having worked it out, unless I'm wrong, and I think you wrote this in your piece, it's 7.2 million a year that that's going to cost them up to and including 2025 when they have to uh, repay it. So, an overall outlay of 115 million for 78.8 million borrowed, right?
4: Yeah, if that's your maths, then then I'm, I'm out my to, abacus. Uh, i I'm, <laughs> I'm happy to to go with that total figure. the The MSD loan you can look at it two ways. You can look at it as Southampton being very prudent and noticing that the the pandemic is going to be go on for, for quite a while. So you get in early and you get the money uh, at but what could be a lower interest rate. If MSD Holdings saw that several clubs were going to come in for them, the, the demand goes up. So you can whack the interest rates up. Now, we know at The Athletic, we've written a lot about MSD in the past. We know they tend to operate their interest rates at around nine to twelve percent. Um, so for Southampton to get it at just above nine would suggest that, that that's probably a good deal. Uh, you'd rather nine than than twelve percent. What I do think is a concern, and I know the the club don't necessarily see it this way because it has just replaced an existing loan facility with Macquarie. Although obviously they've they've raised it. Uh, it's gone from thirty two to, to seventy eight point eight million. Is that that seven point two million pound a year is a lot of money to, to be paying. That is, I, I don't know what the average wage at Southampton is, but you could probably look at seven point two million pound a year and argue that there's a case that that pays two play two first team players. Well, it's hundred and forty grand a week, isn't it? Yeah, so that's seventy grand each. So that plays that pays two players. Now Southampton don't have to pay a penny of that back until twenty twenty five. And I'm sure MSD Holdings would absolutely love them not to pay a penny back until twenty twenty five because it's just it's earning them it's it's easy money for them. They've sat on an absolute ton of money anyway, so money always makes money. So yeah, Southampton keep it until twenty twenty five and then start paying us back. I think from what's been suggested to me is that it's gonna be it's not a case of Southampton won't obviously start paying this money back now. We're still in the middle of a pandemic, but should they let's say qualify for the Europa League and have a get to the group stages or even to the knockout stages then that is going to generate a lot of income now if you're being wise about it you'd use that extra income and start paying that loan back because you don't want that hanging over your head the whole time it's not an issue now but if it's still there in three and a half years time and it hasn't a penny hasn't been paid back will it be an issue then we obviously can't predict that but what I can say is the club are confident. It's not going to be a, a, too much of an issue. They're, the club are run by sensible people. You've got Martin Simmons and Toby Steele. They're not reckless by any any sense of the imagination. You just have to trust their judgment on it. And from what has been suggested, you know, from what we all know and how, the, how they operate, they aren't going to risk putting Southampton into financial obliv- oblivion. That's not how they operate. That's not been their, their model. And... I think it's also worth noting that this MSD money isn't for Ralph to go and spend. It's not money there for him to go and buy a 40 million pound striker or a 30 million pound midfielder. It's money there. It's working capital. It pays the players whilst re- whilst match revenue is down, pays all the other members of staff. It it just helps them operate as a, as a football club in a in a normal way and if that's what it takes to get through the pandemic, then yeah, let's that that that's what it takes essentially. But the sooner they can pay it back, in my opinion, the better because you don't want to be spending just well, over seven 30, million pound a year. It's another thirty plus million quid that you're paying just on interest, isn't it?
5: If, exactly. If you let it, if you let it run the full term.
4: Exactly.
5: Is there any, is there any reason why we've moved away from Macari because we we've been using those using them for quite a while. From memory. And, and I, I imagine their rates are probably quite probably a fair bit lower
4: from memory. As, as I think I, I wouldn't want to. But if I answered that, I'd, I'd basically be making an educated guess. So that's not something I particularly want to do. My assumption would be and I may be wrong on this and I'm sure someone will let me know fairly quickly on Monday if I'm wrong on this is that. MSD were perhaps able to provide a larger chunk of money there and then maybe I'm I'm not too sure that's my just that's a guess it could be that I'm not saying it is that it may not be that I don't know the answer to that for sure but if I was gonna place a bet on it I'd imagine it'd be something to do with MSD being able to provide that money there and then and perhaps a, a better interest rate I'm not entirely too sure but I've just noticed a couple of other clubs have gone to Macquarie haven't they I can't think where they are I think they're in the championship uh, and taken a loan out with them so i'm i'm really not too sure on that i think that's the thing glenn isn't it you know we know uh, lots of borrowing happens in
3: football so i suppose as as dan says if the purse string holders at saints like toby etc are comfortable with the arrangement and the fact it can and will be paid back at uh, the relevant point then as fans we just need to have confidence in that as dan mentioned you know fingers crossed saints aren't on the verge of a financial cliff here so ultimately it's their business and they can run it sensibly and we just need to have trust in the, the way
0: that they're doing it yeah, we do. Uh, otherwise, if you're not a financial expert, then you're just going to go mad, aren't you? Worrying about it, and and with every month that ticks by, and you you still hear that this loan hasn't been paid back, you'll you know you just get more and more worried. The way Toby Steele kind of ex- didn't he explain it to us when we when we spoke to him, or or Martin Simmons did one of the two. That to Dan's point, that it very much was working capital. Working capital is uh, the word I was just yeah, thinking. Yeah, and, exactly. and it's it's well because the know.
5: Premier League payments come in two blocks, don't they? Rather than being yeah. rather than being spread evenly across the season, they they lump it in 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 two big big payments. Yeah. Which seems absolutely ridiculous when the Premier League is sitting on reserves of last I heard about five
0: billion pounds. It does seem ridiculous in the current climate because I'm sure the clubs would prefer it was released in uh, you know twelve monthly instalments or whatever rather than sort of two two biannual ones or whatever, but um, two six monthly ones. But you know I, th- I think as, as fans you, you've got to trust them a little bit, but also y- y- you have to be slightly aware of it and slightly worried about it because we've been down this road before. You know, in the not too distant past, where, you know, the finances did go a bit, did go a bit pear shapes and, and we ended up in a lot of, in a lot of trouble. So you do have to be aware of it. Some of the stuff I read on after the defeat against Leicester, we need to buy this, we need to buy that. We're not, we're not going to be buying. You don't release accounts one day saying you've lost seven, you know, you're 70 million quid down and then go and sign a new player the next, the next day, that that's not going to happen. It's going to be loans and loans and freeze, isn't it? It's just not going to be. It's just we're not going to be paying fees for players, and and we're, we're going to be getting by with what we had more or less.
3: I think there's too many people paying FIFA 21, where you can get that 500 million pound <laughs> injection at the start. <laughs> I did that, and uh, Saints uh, currently got Ronaldo and Mbappe up front, so there we go. But uh, anyway, nice. <laughs> anyway, Shane Long still no, we on don't the don't
5: bench. Buy, oh, we don't
3: buy over 30s, do we? Sorry, <laughs> no, I right. still got Shane Long on the bench. It's fine. So um, cool, right? Just fast. Uh, lastly, then Dan um, on the wages to turnover. Ratio because I know that obviously got some uh, sort of traffic and social media and things like that as well. Obviously, it was reported at 90%, so 90% wages to turnover, but of course, that is all staff at the club, not just the first team squad and manager, etc. I think just so that we can sort of discuss this point and, in case anyone's unsure about it, there's obviously, again, mitigating factors to that right because as i understood it obviously revenue is lower so naturally the percentage is going to go higher um but of course as steve mentioned there some of the revenue generated from this year from games like july etc are obviously going to be rolled into next year's accounts so as steve sort of mentioned earlier just so we can clarify that point ultimately they're going to reflect in 2020 21 a higher revenue probably than
4: this year because of the fact that it's for a larger period almost yep and you'll also have player sales included in that as well, which will. Patrick, Johnson, Harrison Reed and Pierre yeah, Mohoiberg yeah. uh, will will feature in that. So, yeah, that ninety ninety percent figure, I think, that was one of the most. When I saw that, I was like, "Wow, that is yeah. dangerous." <laughs>
0: isn't seventy percent seen as the sort of guideline that? You're yeah, supposed you sort to of want around
4: two thirds to around two thirds. So when you, I'd noticed that had gone from seventy seven to ninety percent that makes you, that's the centre bells ringing. But when you actually understand that that is for all staff, it's from the cleaner to Danny Ings and everyone else at the club, it's, you also then have to counter in March, April, May, uh, and obviously June, where, especially before football came back, Southampton weren't, they weren't selling any, their shops were shut. Uh, I can't imagine a lot of people would have been going on their online store to buy football kits or or anything like that at the time so the the revenue took a hit and that is reflected so it went from what 77 to 90 percent but in the accounts there were the kind of like little asterisks or or whatever you want to say and it went and i think they would have predicted them to to actually fall had it not been for the pandemic uh the figure would have fallen from 77 to 71 percent i guess there are ifs and maybes involved in that but that's what the accounts say. And obviously the accounts have to be signed off. And then we did know player wages, they increased from 86.1 million to 89.9 million, which was a jump from 58 percent of the turnover to 71 percent. However, there was the same kind of little asterisk there. And it was going to say that had there not been for the pandemic, it would have dropped to 57 percent, which is a really healthy figure and so is 58 percent to be honest um, 71 a bit more worrying but it's skewed because of the pandemic so once I kind of came to understand all of that and had spoken to a few people I I wasn't as worried about that as I, as I was at the beginning I think that is just the nature of the revenue they missed out on so next year for example when all of this money comes in or the extra money that they owed comes in those figures could look really really good um, but even then, they wouldn't be a, a natural reflection. Let's say, for example, the the player wages dropped from 71 this season to all of a sudden down to like 49 percent, which I mean, I wouldn't I'm not, I have no idea if that could even happen. But then you couldn't really look at that and think, well, that that's amazing, because then you have to counter in the extra money that they that would have appeared in these accounts. It's just maths and maths goes straight over my head so I'm confusing myself just by talking so I think we should just call it a day on the account yeah, I think, let, let's, that, but but let, let's not be too worried about those figures I think is the, is the
3: point I'm trying to make no absolutely and I, I think yeah, I, I know it's, uh, uh, some people will find it very uninteresting And um, what I'll do is I'll obviously put in the pod the timings of the section so if people want to listen to the financial stuff and you've got to this part good on you and hope you found it interesting if you skipped it entirely and are just about to come back in on our FA Cup chat now then that's totally fine but I think it's important you know it's an important part of the club and uh, knowing how that's uh, sort of Distributed, and as I say, I think just because I haven't seen a lot of traffic this week about, yeah, as Glenn said, you know, people wanted us to spend 20, 30, 40 million. I think understanding some of the finances behind it makes you realise why that probably won't be possible. But uh, as I say, I know that uh, mass is never the uh, most exciting subject in the world, right? Just to finish the pod off, then, this time around, uh, after some diary management, it appears full focus will now be on the FA Cup this coming week, certainly on Tuesday evening anyway. We're not going to preview the rearranged Shrewsbury third round game, as we did that in TSP 143, if you want to have a listen. And we're certainly not going to disrespect the Shrews by uh, previewing the fourth round potential tie with Arsenal next Saturday either. But, Glenn, one way or another, good to see the match rearranged with Shrewsbury, even if it did obviously take quite a lot of sort of process management between the likes of the FA, Premier League, St. Shrewsbury, and I think even Leeds United. Um, Yeah, I guess
0: so. I think... (laughs) <laughs> if you ask Ralph, honestly, I think he would have rather have got a buy. But um, you know, we haven't got a buy. We got to play this game. I think with it being now as opposed to last week, I think there's probably more of a chance that we'll see uh, a, a younger-looking side than we would have had out if we played the game at the uh, the time it was supposed to be played. Um, I don't know what the situation is at Shrewsbury. Whether they're going to have players missing still. Obviously, David's the they yeah, going to be missing. Yeah. 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 Well, that, well, that's a good, that's a good thing for everybody. But uh, there's two ways of looking at it, isn't there? You could say we can put, we should put out the strongest possible team because we're not going to get relegated. So why not focus on the FA Cup? But then the other argument of that, against that is that every league place is a whole. You know, we've just been talking about finances. Every about league place. Three million quid. Is, yeah, it? it's a, it's a chunk of money. So I don't think they're gonna, I don't think Saints are gonna risk players who, you know, possibly need a rest. So it'll be a mix and match side that we put out maybe sort of five youngsters and six sort of first team players and people like Fraser Forster and Shane Long will will start the game and um, which should be enough to be honest to, to beat Shrewsbury but it's uh, no it's good it's good to have a game in midweek again but yeah I think uh, yeah, if you ask Ralph honestly, I think he would have preferred not to not to have had to play this, but uh, we are where we are, I and mean, we just got to get on with it. Yeah, and Dan, ultimately, I mean,
3: from your sort of point of view, looking at this as maybe a, more of a neutral, especially given, for example, you know Jurgen Klopp's reaction and attitude towards facing Shrewsbury at Anfield in the replay last season, when you know he effectively said he wasn't going to turn up, and I think Ollie said when he spoke to us, you know, it cost Salop in the region of about a million quid that replay with TV and all that sort of thing. Do you think Saints deserve a bit of credit for for sort of almost doing the right thing in inverted commas and kind of just? leaving the, the the powers to be to sort out what they want to do and just going along with that rather than maybe kicking up a stink over a buyer or a walk over like some clubs would have done
4: absolutely I, th- I think they do as you've just said it would have been so easy for southampton to throw their toys out the pram and say no you know we can't do this look at i you know we've got this intense premier league schedule with now or never So if you can't play it then tough luck sorry but we're moving on and we're going to go and play in the fourth round and FA, you better do something about this. And Premier League, please don't accommodate a replay. We just can't do it. So I do think they they deserve credit for that. It'll be interesting to see the team Hassan will puts out. Um, what, what would you do, bearing in mind the injuries at the moment? Just play the kids and give the they've all been on the bench in in recent weeks. So I, I'd like to see some of them come on. I'd I'd start Fraser Forster, Jan Valery. I'd put him at the back. Uh, central defenders I, I don't know how many there are to be honest so you're probably going to end up with Bednarek and Stevens anyway um, unless you drop down into the B team yeah. Jake left Huken, back, Huken, Jake Fokins yeah. central midfield I'd give I'd probably give Diallo a, another game uh, and then I'd go with I'm going to pronounce his name wrong Kagalo Chalk we'll go with that I think I've think I pronounced it right everyone at the club calls him Kegs so we just call <laughs> him Kegs so I'd, I'd play him God we're so lazy with foreign pronunciations aren't we <laughs> <laughs> at, least, at least they didn't do Jesus what most at yeah, least, least they didn't Jesus do
3: what most nation. sporting clubs do Stephen just stick a E on the end so it's like kegsy yeah it's just kegs so, as dancers yeah, yeah,
4: yeah. <laughs> I'd go with him I'd go in the kind of two tens it's, it's just it's hard to pick because there's so many players it's, well that's the thing I, I don't know if Teller's going to be fit or not um, if I'm being honest so and up front Shane Long I'd play him and I'd play Dan and Lundaloo and I'd give Shay Adams a rest and then it's Whoever is available for the tens, I'd put them in. With quite a lively front, too, actually, those two. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. think it would be.
3: Yeah. And it be interesting. Should be, should be, uh,
5: should be, should be enough against a League One, League One defense, yeah, anyway.
3: Yeah, yeah. It's just as long as someone's marshalling Sean Wally, that's the most important thing. But uh, yeah, um, I think the, key, you know, I think Ralph's got his press conference Monday afternoon, down, hasn't he? So I suppose more will come out. And yeah, I was thinking the same about Nathan Teller. It'd be a perfect game for him, wouldn't it? So hopefully he'll be fit. But uh, we'll see what happens. But Steve, look, just to finish up the pod, it's felt like quite a long one to, tonight. But um, I suppose the key thing now, having gone through all that process of being amicable and making the game happen, is for Saints to to make sure they win yeah it's going to be peak saints
5: isn't it to to have um laid out the red carpet for um to to a to accommodate We're all them thinking and, <laughs> and and it and then do it figuratively on the pitch as well i mean what's clearly going to happen is it'll go to extra time and we'll lose in the 120th minute it'll be t- it'll be a terrible game and we won't even get the uh, get the benefit of watching a penalty shootout at the end of it <laughs> but i do i do wonder on, in terms of the scheduling obviously the Leeds game's been shifted for to make this happen which i actually think works for us because having having to go to Leicester and then Leeds in a yeah. quick succession two teams that play really sort of high intensity football
3: well, I was going to I ask that, but Leeds have lost three in a row, so... Be, they,
5: they have, but... Are they're you getting still, a
3: good time, almost?
5: Uh, yeah, possibly, but I think... Um, they run you ragged, yeah. Yeah, they will do, and we don't have, at the moment, we don't seem to have the energy for that at this stage. Um, but I do wonder, on that scheduling thing, if we were to lose to Shrewsbury... Would they then move the Leeds game to Saturday? Because obviously Leeds are already out because they got bummed by Crawley, uh, Crawley last yeah. week. I mean, that's that's an obvious gap gap in the schedule where you could play a game, and it it would it would probably suit everybody. You you then don't have to fit find somewhere to fit it in later.
0: Yeah, I reckon Leeds were only too too pleased to. Sack the game off against us this week because they probably know that they're running on empty a little bit, and uh, consequently, I, would, you know, should that all come to pass, I'd, I'd be very surprised if they. Mind you, they wouldn't have a choice. Fulham didn't have a choice, did they, when they got that yeah. game against Spurs at two days' notice? So, so yeah, maybe maybe they will. That would make sense. But when has anything the FA done ever made sense? <laughs> Indeed. Well, we'll keep our fingers crossed that the uh, whole environment
3: is safe for everyone, of course, and that Saints can win through to face the Gunners next weekend. is the Total Saints podcast proudly underpinned by our TSP patrons thank you for listening to this episode of Total Saints podcast hope you've enjoyed it don't forget there are plenty of others including ex-saints our red and white insight feature with the club or previous international supporters clubs so just give them a search thanks to Steve Dan Glenn and of course Trevor we'll catch you next weekend when hopefully we'll have won through to the FA Cup thrift round until then have a good week and keep marching in
6: because we are